Merry Christmas. My name is Brad Watson, and this is the Saturate Podcast's Advent devotional called Preparing Room. This is a 25-day reflective journey through the themes of Advent, as well as the themes of being the people God called us to be, so I hope that you will enjoy it. In addition to this devotional, we also have resources on Advent that I'd love for you to check out at saturatetheworld.com. One is the Advent Community Guide, which will help you have engaging conversations throughout this season as your community gets together. There's also crafts and coloring sheets for children, as well as alternative ways to use it with your children and family gatherings. So it's a great resource just to use with families as well. Also, we have a holiday missional community planning guide that will help leaders engage and plan for this season so that people will grow in your community in their love for God during this season, their love for one another in this season, and their love for their neighbor this season. So make sure you check both of those out. And with that, let's engage today's reflection. Christmas is a magical time for kids as they see the glow of lights, the trees in their home, and packages accumulate below those trees. It's also the season when we get to regularly articulate the meaning and the nature of God coming to us to save us. This, to my four-year-old, is the most astonishing question that she continues to ask. Why did God have to come anyway? Which is a good question. Why did God have to come? To deal with sin for the sake of resurrecting our lives from the dead is the the quick answer. But the the nativity narrative makes major claims that we cannot ignore. The the fact that it's not just a cute little uh, side project of God being born in a season under a stable. The the claims of the nativity scene uh, of the incarnation of God makes this claim. The world is not right and we are not right. Or as Cornelius Plantinga writes this very well in his book, The Breviary of Sin, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, he writes, Our world has been vandalized by sin. We've perverted, polluted, disintegrated God's shalom and our shalom. All that God intended of the world, this peace, has been marred by human sin. And the consequences are devastatingly final. It's death. See, the meaning of the season is not only Jesus' birth, but the purpose of his birth. The manger is not the setting of a peaceful and gentle gift from God to a cozy, warm world. The cradle is actually occupied by Christ because our world is at odds with Christ. The birth of Jesus ought to shock us as much as the flood of Noah. God has entered the world to see it judge, reconciled, and saved. When the angels sing, joy to the world, the saviors come, the angels are saying, the world needs a savior. We are in need of judgment for sin, reconciliation for the effect of sin, salvation from the result of sin. Christ's First coming is the introduction to his great passion for the world. It's the beginning of his death and resurrection. Jesus was born on death row for our sake. So the question, why did God choose to come? 
Why did God choose to incarnate himself in a world to die? The last deeply spiritual question that my children ask in their curiosity is this, why? Why did God choose to come? Jesus offers the church today the full meaning of the Christmas season through the often forgotten Christmas verse. It's John 3, 16. It says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Or in the New Living Translation that my family is memorizing, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. And this is, as I mentioned, our family's verse during Advent. And and each month, thanks to my wife Mirella's intentional mother and discipling eye, we try to memorize a verse while we eat dinner. And we're able to work on the verse about 50% of the time. Uh, The rest of the time is filled with spills and screams and lots of loud singing from our three children. Uh, Many of our meals feel like they're straight out of the garbage-crushing scene in Star Wars A New Hope. So when you hear we're memorizing scripture, know that we aren't heroes. Honestly, we're pretty great parents even when we don't do the Bible verse. And you're a great parent even when you're not memorizing scripture. But but back to our Bible verse for Advent, John 3.16. While John 3.16 feels kind of cliche because of our familiarity with it, it's far from trite. John 3.16 is history-shattering truth. And our children have successfully memorized the first half of this. Uh, And this alone is, is actually hard for our human minds to grasp. God exists. For God, it begins with God is there, he's present. But not only that, God loves. That that the creator and the, the ruler of the universe loves. But not only that, he loves the world. That the world is the object of God's affection and passion and love. In John's writing, the world uh, speaks to the forces, the powers, the attitudes, the beliefs that are in complete opposition to God and his ways. Yet this verse says that the creator of the universe loves that world that is opposed to him. And that's not all. God's love and God loves the world so much. This phrase, so much. God loved the world lavishingly, overwhelmingly, wastefully even. Uh, I told my children whenever we were talking about this so much, I told them to remember how Will Ferrell's elf in the movie Elf, he pours so generously and overwhelming amounts of syrup on each meal that he he is devouring his spaghetti and, and completely saturating it with syrup. This is how God's love is poured out into our world. When when John 3.16 says, God loved the world so much, it means with that kind of generous, overwhelming, lavishing love. The second part of this verse explains Christmas. That God so loved the world, he gave. God gave. He wasn't under a compulsion by legal requirements or some drama or some uh, Shakespearean level consequence of events. No, God freely and lovingly gave his son. The gift of the child 
of Bethlehem is the tangible love of God into a world that doesn't deserve to receive such a gift. And so my daughter always stresses this phrase so much. It's a part shout. It's a part laugh. Her reciting the verse is 100% joy. Even in her youth, she's captured only a sliver of God's truth, and it's enough for complete joy. The joy-inducing truth is that we have received this abundant love from the Father by the Son and through the Spirit. Then the question might become, well, who do we become because he came? C.S. Lewis wrote this on the miracle of incarnation. He said, the Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. The Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. Later on in the New Testament, John writes uh, in 1 John 1, 13, at the very beginning of that verse, he says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. See, through the only Son, we all become sons. God's love and the resulting gift of his son transfers us from children of wrath to children of the beloved father. Now this changes so much. No longer are we orphans tossed to and fro by the circumstances of this world, surviving by just our sheer labor and self-protection. No, now we're his children. We're called his children. And we are his children. Not only is it a title that we wear, but it's a reality that we exist in. So why does Christmas have to happen? Because he loves you to the depths of death and to the heights of heaven. Christmas is not all swaddling clothes. It's also about a cross. It's about an empty tomb. It's about the Father's love to redeem and restore everything. And so on the the next installment, on, on our next reflection, we'll talk more about that. But before, I just invite you to sit under the truth of Christ's coming. On Jesus' arrival to earth, and, and the Father's whisper, you are lavishly loved. More importantly, the world that we live in is loved. And this, my friends, is hope. The Christ child has made you a child of God because God so loves the world. Wait, before you go, I just want to say a few things about a new resource that's come out recently called the Gospel Basics for Kids. It's an amazing resource that we hope that you'll check out. It's for preschool-aged children, and it guides these kids through discussions and story and music and crafts and illustrations and coloring sheets, all to introduce these young children to the important discipleship 
uh, realities of gospel, identity, rhythms, and essentially the way that we teach and train and disciple adults, we're doing it for kids because our children are not the disciples of the future. They're the disciples of today. And so go to saturatetheworld.com or amazon.com to learn more about the gospel basics for kids and get your copy.